in today's show. We're talking draft prospects, finishing off our series of draft prospects. Actually looking at Nikola Jovic, Jovic, AJ Griffin, Jeremy Sohan, Chet Holmgren, Blake Wesley, and more with Raphael Barlow, Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Just realized on the video I hadn't flicked over to my face. Today's episode is brought to you by Arcade One Up. Locked On is partnering with Arcade One Up to give away three free NBA Jam Shack machines. Stay tuned for later in the show to learn how to enter. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we're going to wrap up all of our draft prospects. I think there's going to be 60 plus prospects that we end up going through. And then there'll be some mock drafts coming in the next couple of days before the NBA draft. And 90% sure I'm going to go live on draft day as the draft is happening. So you can join me for the NBA draft, and we'll chat about everything that goes down there. I'll put the, the details of that once I get it all finalized and sorted out and make sure that is that is exactly what I'm doing. So we'll be doing that. Um, but let's let's get Rafael Barlow back in. We're going to talk to him about these draft prospects. Warney? Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> so let's, let's bring him in now. He started off our coverage when looking at NBA draft prospects for this season, and he's going to finish off the prospect part of the uh, the program here. And that is, of course, Raphael Barlow of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. Raph, welcome again after our false start of me not recording the first little bit of us talking. We're going to do it again. Welcome back. I'm good, man. I'm glad to be back on again. You know, the show special to me. This is the one that kind of got me started with the Locked On Network. So I'm always available for you. So we're going to talk prospects, of course. We're going to wrap up all of the guys that um, we haven't covered yet, plus a couple of extra thoughts that Raf has on a couple of other players that he is a little bit higher on than some others might be. And we're going to start with the guy that he is higher on than the consensus opinion, and that is Blake Wesley, the guard out of Notre Dame, six foot four, 19 years of age, whose numbers, they're not, they're not good. Like When you look at them, they're bad. 30% shooting, 66 from the line. 40 from the field, 14 points, two and a half assists per game. Why Why are you having confidence in him despite those numbers, which don't stack up against a bunch of these guys like Johnny Davis and Benedict Matherin, these guys who are going to be his contemporary-sized players or play the same sort of position? These numbers don't stack up, so why are you high on Blake Wesley? Well, if you look at, if you look at Johnny Davis' numbers his freshman year, they're only about five points per game. And so Matherin and Davis have a year of experience on him. And one of the things that I, I like about Wesley is, one, he's a great, great kid. But I, I like the upside. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Tyrese Maxey. I think he'll be able to play the one and the two. Um, smooth athlete, good shot creator. And something to, to take into context with Wesley. And it, you can say that about some of the other freshmen also. He, he made the jump from high school to college basketball without really 
high level AAU ball in between. And I think that was huge for his, uh, a huge part of his struggles a little bit because like the Nike EYBL is one of the toughest leagues. And because of COVID, he didn't get a chance to really play. So when he was in high school, he was, uh, you know, the most athletic guy. So he was always able to get to the rim. And he had mentioned it to me when I spoke with him off record is that this was like his first time playing against guys with size. And then he said he was only 175 pounds at the beginning of the season. And so he's, he's up to about 189 now. So I think that with the added weight and the improved shooting, I think he's going to be one of these guys that that could be a real steal. And I think he's better than what his numbers indicated. Well, that'd, that'd be good because his numbers indicate that he's not an NBA player at, at this point, obviously. If you're putting up those numbers, that's that's not great. With a yeah, assist to turnover ratio, basically at one, you had 2.4 to 2.2 assists to turnovers uh, per game. He is only 6'4", so probably more on that Donovan Mitchell size player. Um, is he, you know, he's listed as a shooting guard. Is he a Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal type of shooting guard, a guy that is more of a point guard, but not a full-time point guard? He's a ball handler, a guy that can distribute, can set up an offense, or is he a complete off-ball sort of a shooting guard like a Tim Hardaway Jr. or someone along those lines? Is he, is he a guy we're just going to say, well, once you, once you get there, we're just going to give you the ball and you run everything for us? I think he's, and I think, like I said, Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, Maxey can play a little bit of both. And, I mean, I think that was one of the reasons why Maxey kind of fell into the 20s because some felt like he was too small to be a two but not good enough to be a one. They were concerned about his outside shooting also. But we've seen Maxey has, has, you know, developed into a guy that I think could end up being, no pun intended, a max player. Yep. And so I think Blake Wesley has the same type of athleticism, a little bit bigger than Maxey. And I, I just see some some similarities there. What about defensively? Is he just going to get roasted, or yeah, is, is the length um, yeah going to be a positive there? Does he give in? Does he try? Is he one of those guys who tries but doesn't have the quickness, or he has the quickness and doesn't try? Like, where's his defensive ability sitting? I think he's going to be a plus defender, and with, with, with his length and athleticism, he has the physical tools, and I think that he has the mindset also. And so I'm I'm a big believer in him being a, a two-way player. He's got like a six-nine wingspan, which is plus five on his height, so that's huge. And being able to leverage that, like pretty good steal rate in college as well, one point five per thirty-six. That's a solid number, and we always like to look at that sort of thing. And he attempted a lot of threes; they didn't go in, but he attempted a lot. He got to the line at a decent rate as well. So there are some interesting indicators. We just need the shots to start to go in more. But he's a guy. Look, when you say you're higher on him, are you? You know, lottery, um, top fifteen. Oh, that's lottery, obviously. Top twenty. Like, where where are you sitting with him? For me personally, I think he would be a good fit in New York. I know Knicks fans are, no matter who I say, is, is going <laughs> to New York. <laughs> Somebody's going to be totally against it. But I think the upside is there. Now, if New York really embraces a rebuild, then I, I, then I, I think he's a good fit. But I think New York is going to keep trying to plug in with some older guys and keep trying to patch away. But I think that he has the the length to be able to again defend multiple positions, and I think if everything pans out, him and RJ Barrett would be a, a pretty good backcourt. We're going to get back to talk about the player that you are lower on, and spoiler to everybody who's you know hanging on to wait it, it's Chet Holmgren. We're going to talk about him in a second, but before we do that, it's time for me to tell you about Arcade One Up. Big news: NBA Jam is back, and it is back 
in POG form. No, it's not back in POG form. It's back in arcade form. Arcade 1UP is the leader in at-home retro arcade games. Not only bring you the best game ever back, but they made it bigger than ever with a Shaq edition machine. Hopefully it's the same size as Shaq. That would be pretty cool. People are obsessed, obsessed with NBA Jam. I'm thrilled to tell you guys that you can once again play hoops with NBA legends in this arcade classic. One of the first sports games that ever went huge at the arcade, NBA Jam. Um, got those NBA licensed teams. Superstars like yeah, Scotty Pippen, Penny Hardaway, Shaq, Mike Uzzolino, all those stars that everyone loved playing with back in the day. And you can get it at home now and pre-order from Arcade1Up. That's Arcade, the number one, up.com. Estimated early September ship date. They've got even more classics like Mortal Kombat as well, and the machines start from just $399. They're also giving away an NBA Jam Shack addition to a locked-on listener. You can enter for a chance to win a game console for your wherever you want to put it, wherever it goes in your house, arcade1up.com slash locked on. That's arcade, the number one, up.com slash locked on. you got until July 8th to enter to win the NBA Jam Shack edition console. Don't miss out. Enter today. Who are you going to play with, Raf? Who are you going to play with? I'm a Blazers fan, so I, I forgot. Was it Clyde Drexler and Terry Porter? Yeah, pretty sure. Team? Pretty sure it was Drexler and Porter. Yeah, um, um, unless there was that wasn't Jerome Kersey era, was it? I don't think he was in there. I think it was Porter and Porter and Drexler in that area. But we're not here to talk about Drexler and Porter too much more. We're here to talk about Chet Holmgren, who you're a little bit lower on than consensus. Now I've had him at number one in each of my mock drafts, and to be honest, Raf, I'm when I'm doing my mock draft to finish things off in a couple of days. He might move down. Um, how low are we talking here? Like, not outside the top five, I'm guessing, but you don't have him in consideration at number one, or do you have him at number two even? I would have him at number four, to be honest with you. Okay. So, Fair enough. I mean, I like Van Carroll. I like Van Carroll as a scorer. I mean, I felt like when they played heads up, Van Carroll was the best player on the floor. I don't think... You know, I don't think anyone could leave that, that game feeling like that, that home run was better. Uh, I'm more so of a guy that if I'm going to take somebody number one, I want somebody that I feel comfortable saying, hey, go get me a bucket. If it's five seconds left on a shot clock, I want somebody that I think can create his own shot. I know Chet has shown some flashes of it, but I just don't see enough of it. And, um, you know, you look at the numbers, he did a lot of his damage in transition. I think he only shot like 33% on jump shots in the half court. So he, he mostly scored when he was able to get the rebound, push the ball up court, and shoot the three at the top of the key, or he was a trailer in transition. I just didn't see a lot of shot creation. And like I said, I mean, I guess it's like a style. You know, I think we all have a, a certain preference of, of what we like in a player as far as their style. And for me, I like somebody that I think can, you know, like I said, create their own shot. I think if I'm taking you number one or number two in the draft, I feel like you're, you, you should be a at least a go-to scorer. And I just don't see that with Chet at this point right now. I could be wrong, though. That, that, that's my concern as well. Is it like what happens when you get into the half court? Are you going to throw it to Chet and go, hey, figure it out? Like That's that's my, my concern at the moment. Defensively, I don't have any worries about it. Rim protection, great. Um, passing, I think he's going to be fine. Shooting, I think will be okay. But can he be that guy that generates an entire offense? It's like, wow, we have to stop Chet on the offense event. And I, and I, I don't know if that's there. So I'm still debating where we are with Chet. I can hear my dog knocking at the door to try and come in. So, Raf, I'll ask you this question. Out of the top five, you've got him at number four. Out of the top four teams, which team do you think the best fit is for Chet? If you're like, this is a perfect situation for him to go to out of those top four teams while I go get my dog. Uh, I would say, you know, based off the way it is right now, Sacramento would, would be a, a decent fit. They already have De'Aaron Fox and they have Sabonis. 
and so I think that he could complement both of those guys. Now, if the outside shooting ends up being legit, then, I mean, that's a win. But I, I think if he's their, their third option, then then I think it makes sense. Um, with, with Houston, he would he would be their their second, maybe maybe their third. Um, Orlando just doesn't have a defined pecking order, and so I think that's probably like the worst fit for him, in, in my opinion, just because they have so many guys that I think feel like they are the guy, and so I don't, I don't know if that's that's the best fit, best fit for him. Oklahoma City could be interesting with with. Um, you know, with Giddy being able to get him some easy looks and kill just Alexander, but I think Sacramento would probably be the best fit there because they have two two guys that that you know are going to be their their cornerstones and makes him number three. Yeah, that that, that is interesting. I, I can see that, and I agree that Orlando probably is the worst fit because they don't have that number one guy. Like they've got all these number twos. Like Cole Anthony thinks he's a number one, but he's not. Um, yeah, you know, Franz Wagner's never going to be a number one sort of a guy. Isaac isn't. Wendell Carter isn't. These guys just aren't going to be... Jalen Suggs probably isn't either. And Chet just sort of fits in as another, like, hey, best case number two option. So that's, you know, the worst... It probably is the worst fit. Even if he does end up the best player, it's not the right situation. So that's why I'm sort of wavering a bit. And generally, I'm like, just take the best player available. But when those guys are pretty close, then fit has to sort of come into it a little bit more. So we'll see what happens when I do end up doing my mock drafts in the next couple of days. But... I'm tending to lean a little bit more your way in terms of the Bunkero at number one situation because of the ability. And if Jabari Smith doesn't have that ability really either, like the, like Bunkero, to be a guy where you just run everything through him. And that that does lean me to push towards Polo at number one. Um, the qu- last question that everyone has for Chet, and I've asked this before to other people, you know, do you have concerns about the frame? Um, I mean, he hasn't shown any history of injuries and I know when most people have concerns about the frame that they're, they're worried about his durability that's not necessarily my concern it's actually when I, I spoke to a, a executive for NBA team and we we kind of were on the same page it's like all right even though we know that defensively he's going to be good where do you play him at mm-hmm. so do you play him at the five well then I mean he's going to have to guard you know of course Embiid Jokic those guys are going to give him trouble but some guys are just going to be able to just seal him. You know, some of the bigger guys like a, a Valanciunas, guys that are, you know, going to be 60, 70 pounds more than he is. So if you play him at the four, similar to like Jared Allen, then you kind of take away his ability as a pick and roll defender. Now he just becomes a weak side shot blocker. And you can kind of, you know, maybe space him out by having him defend like a, a great shooter. So... I think defensively he has all the tools, but I wonder like what is his best position and how can you maximize his tools on defense if you're not playing him at the five? Yeah, that's going to be the concern. Now, we've seen skinny players in the NBA, probably not to this level. We've seen some guys come in. The name Giannis Antetokounmpo comes to mind because he was extraordinarily skinny, but obviously he is now absolutely gigantic. I don't think Chet's got quite the same frame to build that size on, but do you think there's any hope of him becoming even like you know, averagely built with, you know, stronger shoulders and a wider chest? Like, is, it, is there hope for him to put on that weight or is this just not going to happen, you don't think? That's the multi-million dollar question. I saw him at the Combine and he was, he looked even skinnier in, in person. You know, the whole stereotype or the whole joke that the TV adds 10 pounds, I feel like that was legit. I even did like some research. I think like Kevin Durant was like 215 at the same time. Even Garnett was around 215. 
And I think, and I don't know how correct it is. It, it doesn't look correct, but I just saw Victor Wimbenyama is 220. <laughs> so, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> it doesn't sound right. It's, it's, he's, they had him at 220. So if Chet is 195, it's like even if he does gain 15 pounds, which is great, he's still the same weight Durant was when Durant was uh, a rookie. And Durant, you look at those pictures, he was extremely skinny. So there is some concern there, but at least for me, not from a durability standpoint. I even think Porzingis was 15 to 20 pounds heavier at the same stage. Yeah, Porzingis was skinny, but he wasn't that skinny. Like, he had decent-sized shoulders and, and a pretty big chest. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that holds up because we haven't really seen that sort of player in, in a very long time in the NBA. But before we get on to the next prospect, it's time for me to tell you about Rock Auto. Why would you waste time? Why would you waste money going to a local chain auto parts store? It sounds like one of the dumbest decisions you could make. It's stupid. You could just get these parts for your car, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet. You can get it from Rock Auto because they're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Why would you spend 30, 50, even 100% more for those same parts for your car? So head to rockauto.com, browse their extensive and exhaustive catalog to check out every part that's available there for your car or truck and get them into your cart and when you go to check out and they say, hey, how did you hear about us? Tell them that Locked On sent you, right? Locked On, right in that box. Rock Auto. What's the thing? Amazing selection. That's it. Reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Let's go to another player who's got high pedigree, but had some struggles in college. Injuries over the last couple of years have really impacted him. And that is AJ Griffin, the 6'6 forward, 19 years of age from Duke. The number one thing, let's get out of the way, absolutely elite shooting numbers. 45% from three um, on a decent number of attempts, 54% attempt rate. Not much else in the numbers, 10 points per game, half a block, half a steal, one assist. Um, injuries, he played 39 games, but only 24 minutes, but injuries in the past have impacted him. And he sort of was, I guess, misused, I think, at times um, in that Duke offense by Coach K. Um, the shooting, I think it's real. I don't know what you think, but what else is he bringing that's not that level of shooting? I think there's more to his game than he was able to showcase. I know that he got injured with a – he had like a lower leg injury at the beginning of Duke's – I guess their camp. I was going to say training camp, but I guess at the beginning of the school year. And I think that kind of set him back. And even though he did play uh, – he might have played the entire season. Yeah, he basically take did. take a game yeah. or two. He, uh, I felt like they were just kind of bringing him along slowly. He wasn't really aggressively attacking the rim. He did start showing some flashes towards the middle of the season when they brought him into the starting lineup. But I think, like you said, he was mostly just used as a spot-up shooter. So I, I feel like, you know, if you look at his, his high school film, you can see that he did show more ability to put the ball on the floor. I don't think he's going to be like an exceptional rim, you know, a guy that puts a lot of pressure on the rim. But I, I do think that there's again, like more to his game. I think that he should be able to use his size and and kind of punish smaller defenders on switches. And when I first watched him, I, I understood a little bit of the Jimmy Butler comparisons. But if you watched him at Duke, then you would have, you, you're not understanding why he was compared to Jimmy Butler at one time. So, okay, the shooting, we're, we're good with it, right? What else is there? Is there passing? Is there running an offense mentality? Is there two-way 
switchable defensiveness because he's got the size like six six is great and you're the three part of the yeah. three and d is there so there's a you can be a three-point shooter you can be a three and d guy or you can be a three and d guy who then can be you know the absolute ultimate outcome is you know paul george Kawhi leonard a three and d wings who then run an entire offense is there passing ability there is there defensive ability there i think so i, I think so you know um you know i'll go back to the jimmy butler comparisons Butler, I don't think he gets his just due in a sense because he's not like a really sexy player in, in, in a sense. Like you don't really see Jimmy Butler highlights. It's very basic in, in a sense, but he's very good at what he does. So you can run Jimmy Butler in pick and roll. And I, I think over time, Griffin should be able to develop into that type of player. He's got. He's really young. He's like the second youngest player in this draft class behind Jalen Duran. Um, doesn't turn 19 until the end of August, so yeah, heaps of development time. You hope that the injuries are a thing of the past and that doesn't bother him, and we hope to see a little bit more flashes from him. But the everything's there that you want. The shooting, the size, the position, um, all that stuff is there. So it's going to be interesting to see whether that actually does translate over. We're looking at another forward prospect now, and that is Nikola Jovic, the 19-year-old six foot eleven wing power forward from Serbia much like Nikola Jokic, played for the same team, Mega, over in Serbia, averaged 12 points per game, 32% shooting from three, attempted a lot of threes. Um, six boards, assist numbers, pretty good for a wing-sized player. Yeah. Defensively, that's going to be the concern with him. Didn't have the greatest season over in Europe. You would have hoped for you know guys who have success coming out of that Adriatic League, Nurkic, um, Jokic, obviously, um, even guys like Goga Badadze playing over there, their numbers are unbelievable. Like, they stand out and you go, holy crap, like, what is this? Whereas Jovic's numbers come in, you go, oh, that's all right. Like, the thing that stands out is like, okay, he averaged 4.6 assists per 36. So that's pretty good, but nothing actually stands out. And, and I would hope that a guy playing in that league can actually just blow up with huge numbers. So what's the selling point on Jovic? Because it seems that he's going to go in the top 20. What, what is it that's that's attracting us here? Versatility, six ten, can handle the ball, um, can can pass. The shooting is up and down, but I think there's potential, especially in the corners. And so I think that's the the intrigue of a six eleven ball handler that can make plays for others, and the versatility. So you, you have him on your team. You can run four five pick and rolls, four three pick and rolls, and I think a creative coach can really unlock his his skill set and and create some mismatches my biggest concern with him is let's say he goes to a team or, or let's say he goes into a situation similar to Denny Avdia where Avdia didn't really get an opportunity to play with the ball in his hands and he was I think his rookie it was Westbrook and Bill so you know when you have those two guys on your team you, you're not getting touches and you have to stand in a corner and putting Denny Avdia in a corner doesn't maximize his skill sets we saw a little bit at the end of last year when the Wizards knew their season was over, and they, I think they brought him off the bench but let him initiate the offense. And so I said all that to say this. I think with, with Jovic, my biggest fear is that he goes to a team where they already have too many other ball handlers, and they just kind of stick him in the corner. And if you stick him in the corner, you're not going to maximize his gifts. But I, I think that you know you have to trust your development team, that you can develop him into a better shooter, you get a creative coach, and then you have a, a, a versatile weapon that can, you know, just create mismatches all over the floor. Who do you like in terms of that bigger wing group 
I'm going to say group. It's two guys I'm going to talk about here. One of them is Jovic, those you know, 6'9 to 6'11 wing forward players who you know, need the ball to handle and, and run offense and pick and roll him. Or Usman Jeng, who, again, had significant struggles playing in an overseas league, but he's a 6'9 wing who can handle the ball and can pass really well. Like, Who do you like better? Uh, I think I think Jang, and he's actually like 6'10 now. I, okay. I, I had a chance to speak to him at, at the Combine. And uh, I met him last summer. He's noticeably bigger as far as, like, stronger. I think he's a, a little taller. And uh, actually, I, th- I thought he would have been taller than 6'10". I saw him walking down the elevator with some guys that were listed as 7-footers. And he, he seemed like he was right there with them. I think Zhang also has the three-level scoring potential. I think defensively, he could be a versatile defender that could defend multiple positions especially once he fills out i think he should be able to slide his feet and at least be able to switch out on, on one from time to time uh definitely just going to have to get a little bit more physical to to guard some of the the bigger wings uh and i understand like jang's struggles were i mean it, those were some of the worst stats i've ever seen like yeah. the first half of the season it was like what four points 20 percent from the floor 17 percent from three but I didn't really put it into context that he was an 18-year-old kid that was in Australia by himself due to the strict COVID uh, restrictions. Couldn't have, like, you know, family or anyone there. And I, I know plenty of 18-year-olds that struggle with just going to college away from home. And so I think that played a major role in his struggles. But once he got comfortable, he looked like the player that people were high on coming into the season. Let's move on to another wing player. And this is a guy that, I don't know why I've waited this long to talk about him, but I'm pretty interested to see what you've got to say about Jeremy Sohan because the size is there, the defensive ability is there. I think there is offensive upside, and if I'm taking a swing in a draft, like if he hits, like it's huge. Like it's absolutely massive. We referenced earlier Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, these wings who started off really defensively and then developed an offensive game. And look, they're the exception, obviously, but... Sohan's got that defensive ability right there. We saw the success of someone like Herb Jones coming in as a defensive wing and having success straight away in the NBA. I, you know, given the lack of top-end star talent in this draft, in my opinion, you're taking a flyer on someone with that size and that defensive ability at you know, and switchability, the ability to defend you know, at least three, maybe four, maybe five positions um, is super valuable. So... Am I completely off on thinking that, you know, if I'm taking a swing on someone like this archetype of play hits, it's more valuable than almost any other type hitting? And or I'm just completely off and he's going to be Isaac Okoro, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist on offense? <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't heard of MKG in, in a while. Um, it's crazy that he's not even 30 and he's out of the league and he hasn't mm. been in a couple of years. Uh, I mean, I think those are fair assessments because both of those guys were selected really high. I don't think Sohan will be, you know, a, a top five pick, but those are fair assessments. And, I mean, for him, the swing skill is a shooting. He does have some offensive skill set that that I think that you can build around. I think he's a, a decent passer. He's, in, and he, he's a cutter. But at the end of the day, in today's NBA, if he doesn't develop some type of offensive game or shooting, then it kind of limits how effective he can be on the defensive end. Because I don't think in today's game you're going to see a bunch of Andre Robertsons. I don't think those guys are going to be able to play 35 minutes per game because, you know, they just don't bring enough offense. And there's so much emphasis on shooting in today's game. But I I, I would take a swing on him. It just depends on how high. 
I don't think I would take him in a top 10, but if I'm a team like the Thunder with the 12th pick, I would definitely take a flyer on him. They have the luxury of being able to swing for the fences and hit and miss because they have so many picks. Um, Charlotte, maybe, since they have two two picks at 13 and 15. So those are the teams that I think should be able to take a swing on him. Maybe even like New Orleans. I don't know if there's a clear-cut path to playing time simply because he plays the same position as Zion or, or, or Brandon Ingram. But I think that, you know, for a team like the Pelicans, you add Herb Jones' defense, he can probably come off the bench and bring some some energy. And if, you know, they're the same staff as there that kind of help Lonzo Ball with his shooting, then maybe Sohan could, could uh, develop into at least, if he could develop into at least league average, then he could be really, really effective. They have the ability to take a swing. Like Herb Jones went from like a 60% free throw guy to shooting 85. Brandon Ingram jumped up 25 percentage points joining New Orleans. Like He shot 59% so high in college. Like New Orleans has the track record and Fred Vincent of, of pushing that to 70-75, making him a 36% three-point shooter, making him a, a solid finisher. And if all that comes around, then holy crap, Like that's a really, really valuable player. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, you go to another team where where nothing happens, and then you end up like Josh Eustace, um, as a <laughs> as a tall forward wing defender who can't do anything on the other end of the uh, of the other end of the court, and that's sort of where we are. So I'm really torn with Sohan because it could work out, it could be amazing, or it could just be an absolute disaster. Next guy, Keon Alice, a six five guard, Alabama. He's older, twenty two years of age. Um, senior who's got a really high steal rate, averaged only 12 points per game and only a 17% usage, which is a little bit red flaggy to me as a 6'5 shooting guard and a senior, you're still not getting a good usage. And he shot well, 37%, really good three-point shooter, great from the free throw line. Um, we see success for some of these older guards going late in drafts, just coming in and being solid. But is Alice one of those players or is he just a little bit of like, you know, we, we put up these numbers that aren't even overly impressive as a senior, and I'm not sure how that translates. Well, I think if we went back a year ago, we may have been saying the same thing about Herb Jones. That's true. You know, he was a senior. You know, we, we were going to sell. He can't shoot. I mean, you know, he was SEC player of the year, but we probably had more red flags than positives. And you never know. Keon Nellis could be this guy this year. Maybe it's a lazy comparison since they both went to Alabama. But I was high on Ellis during the season. I kind of soured on him a little bit at the combine. And I know I shouldn't put too much stock into, you know, what I, what I saw at the combine. But I, I think that he does have some potential. He's just in this weird range to where I don't see him mocked in the 30s a lot. And then I think after, if once you're outside the 30s, you know, that's, that's scary hours because you could end up not being drafted. And, and so I think for him, it, it could be a situation where his agent decides it's best for him to not to get drafted so they can do like what Austin Reeves did, where you can kind of handpick a situation or handpick a team that you feel gives you the best clear path to playing time. So I think he falls into that to that range. But if he pans out, I think he has some ability to create his own shot and knock down shots and, and be a defender. So um you know, a team like Minnesota that has multiple picks in the second round, I think, think it would be foolish of them to, to pass on a guy like Ellis, especially when, you know, they're a playoff team. So I think with their picks, they can swing for upside and take some guys that, that could possibly come in and contribute right away. 
Last guy we're going to talk about on the show today is a younger player. That's Justin Lewis, the 6'8 forward from Marquette. Just turned 20 a couple of months ago. Really good wingspan, 7'2", 7'3". Wingspan is huge. 32 minutes a game last year. 17 points, 8 rebounds. Attempted a lot of threes and hit him at a decent rate. Not, not great, but 35%, 76 from the line. So some shooting upside there, some rebounding upside. Um, yeah, what sort of a player is he? He's got that prototypical size. He's 6'8", huge wingspan. Good rebound numbers. Is he a defensive guy out there, defensive stopper out there, or is he more of a a higher usage player that's never going to translate to the NBA because he had 28 usage in market? What sort of role could you envisage for him in the NBA? I think he's going to have to earn his, his playing time as a defender. And I think once he establishes, establishes himself as a switchy defender that can defend multiple positions, he has the strength. He has the crazy wingspan. Then I think you'll be able to see him show what he can do offensively. But I don't think offensively he's going to have a major role early in his career. But I think once he establishes, you know, what, what he can do on the defensive end as a shutdown defender, I mean, I think you're going to need a guy like him that has the strength to defend some of the bigger wings. But I think he can rebound. I, I think he could even play some small ball five in, in some lineups. And, I mean, maybe not for more than 10, 10 minutes per game at the most, but I do think that a creative coach can kind of maximize his his, his versatility. But I, I think he, he does have enough offense to where he can be a defensive stopper in a sense, but still not be a, a total negative on offense. What do you make of a comparison with him, say, with another guy who seems to project similarly to me in this draft, Josh Minot, the 20-year-old forward from Memphis who has got that, again, similar size body, um, is probably going to have to make it work defensively to have a role in the NBA. How do you compare Lewis and, and Minot together? I actually think they're totally different. I okay. think Lewis is a natural four in his build, while Minot is, he has the body type of a wing, but he's not as skilled offensively. He plays like a a blue collar four. I mean, most of his points come from crashing the glass or, or, or cutting offensive rebounds or whatever. I think he's a good passer. I think that he he's shown some flashes of being a decent passer. I actually spoke to a former coach of his, and maybe, you know, it was former coach talk, but he thought that he had the defensive potential to be like Mikael Bridges. Just didn't get the right opportunities in Memphis, and I mean, he has a long ways to go as a shooter, but he believes that he could be you know, one of those defenders that you can put on the other team's best player for 30 minutes per game. And he, he you know, he, he makes the offensive player work for every shot. So I, it's weird because I think Lewis is head and shoulders above, above him offensively. But I think Minot has the, I think with his size and his athleticism, that he could be able to defend more positions and more be more so of a wing lockdown defender. Well, that's going to be interesting to see how that all works out. There's so many of these 6'4 to 6'8, 6'9 players in this draft, which is the sweet spot for size in the NBA, and just working out which ones are going to be the right selections for teams. Raf, you've got a busy couple of days coming up. People can find all of your stuff at Locked On NBA Big Board. Um, what do you got coming out on the podcast this week? So, we're probably going to do like a community mock with all the guys on the Locked On NBA Big Board staff, and then. Um 
I mean, I think we're, we're down to like three days before the draft. So I think maybe for the next three days, we'll do community mocks and we'll probably break it down into, into tiers. Make sure you are following the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, Raf and Leaf and Sam and Richard doing a bunch of great work over there. So check those guys out. Raf, thank you once again for coming on the show. It's always great to have your knowledge on here and, and uh, thanks for making the time for me. No problem. Anytime, let me know and I'll make it happen. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below tomorrow. Mock draft. Mock draft with a guest. We're going to be going back and forward, taking teams and seeing how things unfold on the fly. And then my final mock draft will be on Wednesday, where I'm going to do a combination of what I think will happen, what I would would do, and then an absolute wild, hey, let's just get crazy mock draft. Three mock drafts in one coming on Wednesday. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.